and we are recording. Yay! Anamita, I am just, I could not be more thrilled to see you right now. We met so many years ago, and since then, your star has been just magically on the rise. No surprise to me. I always am following you from afar. What's she up to now? And my understanding is that you are currently the global lead of product management at IBM and IBM That's Quantum. Correct. Is that correct? That's okay. correct. That is correct. Yeah. And um, you, I'm often seeing you like on these like lists of 30 under 30 or like just different people who are very important to watch. And I'm loving that. And in particular, in your role as global lead of product, I'm seeing that you're working with AI and like empathetic um, machine learning. Is that right? So that is something I've done in my previous role. Okay. Okay. So I don't really do that now because quantum computing is just in a different state of technology. We're still kind of in an R&D phase and figuring out what we can do with quantum, but empathetic AI and building like inclusive AI and also like inclusive quantum is very important. So like empathy is required for it, but when you say empathetic AI, that's, that's a little different. Okay. Thank you. That's exactly what I was wondering. So is it like right now you're working in quantum, which I don't know what that means. So can you tell me what that means quantum? Yeah. So quantum computing is a totally new type of computing. So the laptop, iPhone, computer, iPad, whatever technology you're using, they're classical devices and they run on something called bits. A quantum computer has a fundamentally different hardware behind it and it runs on something called qubits. I won't go into like the details of it because this isn't a quantum talk, but it the the hardware completely changes what's potentially possible that we couldn't do with a classical computer. One of the examples I like to give is a caffeine molecule, for example, has never been simulated by a classical computer. It's just too complex. But with a quantum computer, you'd be able to do that. And the promises with quantum computers, if we can get the technology and the hardware to where we want, we'd be able to do all these things that would work with a lot of data and a lot of input that we couldn't do before. And how far out are you from, I mean, it sounds like such an evolving field. Obviously it's completely emerging. You're on the cutting edge. Like how far out are you from understanding the potential there and bringing your sort of inclusive thinking into that world? I think we're still pretty far. But the, the thing that is fun and exciting is that we actually don't know. Like the scientists could be in the lab right now making a crazy breakthrough and it could be tomorrow or it could be 10 to 20 years. Like it's, it's really, we don't know. And do you think that you are committed to this sort of emerging cutting edge world from here on out like do you become like a junkie for that and you're like oh my god I want to know like I want to be on the brink of the future yes and no I feel like I've always kind of been on the brink of the future like I worked in mobile when mobile was a thing I worked in you know AI when AI was starting to really take off as, as a buzz um, and then I worked in quantum so I've always been on this like bleeding edge of technology and I've loved that I think where my expertise go really well is in the AI space because I understand it and I that's what I studied and and I, I can really translate between 
the computer and the human and just like a six-year-old and a grandma and the, the chief scientist somewhere. So I think for me, that's probably where my like true love is. But I like w- like what's productive and what we can do. So it's like bringing in this field into a new field and creating this like special intersection is something I'll probably want to continue doing, working on new products, new markets, new problems that don't exist and doesn't need to be a new technology, but I think the new needs to be there. You've always been like that. I mean, when you and I first met, we both were fascinated with neuroscience science mm-hmm. in general. You studied it, right? I remember that wasn't that your undergrad? Yeah, I studied cognitive science. Okay, cognitive science. And we talked about like startups that we dreamt of for in this world. And I'm wondering, do you still have mental health as part of your interest set or has it evolved from there? I think a lot of it is more for personal study. I really, really love that stuff. And I think one of the things that you and I always geeked over was like positive psychology stuff and how you can kind of train your brain and how you can do those things. And I feel like I'm doing that all the time. And when I'm like, I'm even doing it at work to an extent, like since I'm talking about new technologies, how do people perceive these new technologies, right? With AI, everyone's afraid that people are gonna, like, AI is gonna take over their jobs. But with quantum, the first question is what is quantum? So I have this opportunity to kind of shape this and like train and plant seeds in a way that they can think of this to be this productive technology at one point in the future, rather than something scary. I love but that. I, I, yeah, I don't think like, I don't think I'd see myself like, I think I'm always studying it. So I don't see it like, it's not I don't separate. think it's closed up. It's threaded. Yeah. it's threaded through. Exactly. Um, I think about you regularly because Same. your father used to say something to you that when we talked about like positivity and neuroplasticity, he would say three words to you. Oh my God. Yes. And I remember it because I'm like, God, that was an amazing idea. So what were those three words? What would he say to you? So my dad, when I was younger, I mean, even, even now, like he'll randomly text me if something's going on. Uh, It was almost like a mantra. It was a mantra, but at that time I didn't think of it as a mantra. And it was just three words that I would repeat to myself, whether it's like I was five years old and very scared to go to school or something else, but it was brave, strong, healthy. And he would like repeat it to me, he'd chant it to me, he'd yell it at me, but he would say it to me and it'd make me believe it. And like sometimes, like even now, like it's like affirmations I'll tell myself when I wake up in the morning. And it's it's extremely impactful. And I told myself if I ever get a tattoo, it's gonna say that somehow. I've never gotten a tattoo, but that's like my first tattoo, I think. It's so powerful. I mean, I think of how directed and focused it is. Like if you have to go out and give a talk, it's like, boom, just you're right there. Mm-hmm. And I imagine having it from such a little age. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, even think he knows how much of an impact that's been, but you got to tell him, but it's also like a nice reminder. It's like, it's like, it's like, I've raised you to be brave, strong and healthy. You can do yes. that. <laughs> yes. I, that's what I love too. And so you moved as a kid from India and um, you've lived in like many different lives, but how has the experience of living in an immigrant family, like how has that changed over the past 10 years of your life? Yeah. So I was born in India. I moved around a lot when I was little. My first five birthdays were in five different places. 
So I really just like kind of had this citizen of the world type feeling. Um, I think the last 10 years, and then so we eventually settled in California, the Bay Area. I live in New York now. The last 10 years, I think the biggest change has been me becoming more of an adult and understanding what an adult is. So for an immigrant family that came to the United States, really no one else here. We're very, very, very close. And like my family does everything together. Like growing up, we would celebrate my parents' anniversaries together. Like it wouldn't make sense of just my parents to go, oh, the kids have to go too, right? So we do everything together. And wait, are your parents out there now? Or are you, you're across the country from them? I'm I'm across the country from them. It's been a little tough, especially during the pandemic. It's been so tough. Like this is the first year I've missed birthdays, missing holidays. It's been tough. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah, but I think slowly I've been like making more choices to not be in certain certain celebrations or certain things because I have to prioritize my life and creating my tradition. So it's just been kind of this push or pull with like understanding which things are important to my parents, which things are important to me and which things like are not important at all. And we've just been doing for a while. So it's been this reevaluation, recalibration these last 10 years as I've become more of an adult. Did you by any chance see on Humans of New York? Do you follow Humans of New York? I do. I do. Did you see it yesterday? The story? I did. I was watching it unfold because I was hooked. <laughs> Me too. Like by the second, I knew it was 11 because we know that from the second it mm-hmm. launches. For anyone who didn't see it, this is, it was really amazing. It, it was the story of the founder of a shoe company called Adams, A-T-O-M-S. Though you don't know it. Like it starts just with her describing her childhood, very traditional family in Pakistan, had no expectations of her except to get married. And just, she just like kept going. And it's just, she's amazing. Like the whole story is amazing. It's worth going and finding. But um, I just think there's something about the relationship of your parents' expectations. Intergenerationally is already hard enough. And then you add culturally on top of it. It's just intense. It's, I think a lot of it, like I've been thinking a lot about this in the US, especially this last year, a lot of it has to do with like legal policies and how like the world you live in, right? So in, in the US, there's all these policies of that have stayed for a long time where like women didn't have bank accounts since this, like until the seventies, right? So that's allowed this like level of misogyny to exist for a while. India's just a little bit behind that. And like, in some sense, India is very ahead because we had an Indian, like a woman prime minister and other things. But like, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that you could inherit something from as a daughter from your father or things like that. And like the Indian passport still says like, I, I don't know if this has actually changed. So I'm not sure if it, it's, it's recent, but like my, when I had an Indian passport, it would say like my owner in a way, like I would have to put my dad's name down or something. And like, it's just how it's been for so long. And it's, I, I I think it starts from there and you're like, like similar to how we're like working through like systemic racism. We're working through this like systemic culture, all these things for so long. Yeah. It's so deep and it's such a massive ship mm-hmm. to, to turn. It's like, it's so hard to like move that many people in a new direction of thinking, I bet. But then again, young generation and internet, that's another thing that really struck me. She was like, we had the internet and that changed everything. Um, okay. Overthinking. So 
Do you, you and I have talked about mental health, but does the word overthinking resonate with you at all? Yeah, I feel like the way I think of overthinking is overthinking. Like I maybe am running through a thought over and over in my head or like I am like, I think overthinking you and I, something we've discussed is like, it's different and manifests differently in different people. And I think for me, it's been nice to have that label just to say like, oh, I'm overthinking right now. I should stop. Yeah. It's like, it's like a perspective giver. It's like, yeah. it's like the short words, like, like your dad's words, you know, these yeah. are, these are like helpful perspective givers. Um, do you like, what is the role of mental health in your life in general, like outside of the work realm these days? Yeah, I think this last year I had to kind of reevaluate a little bit because um, I had so much more time <laughs> to do that. And I think for me, like I've always said, you have to work to be happy. Like it's not something that's going to be given to you. So you have to figure out what sort of things bring you joy and what sort of things don't. And you're making those active choices. And the only thing you can really control is your emotions and your feelings. So similar to how you exercise your body, you also have to exercise your mind and train it to think in certain ways. So for me, I'm constantly working towards keeping positive and doing the right things. And um, this year is the first year since 2017 that I restarted a, a daily gratitude journal. Um, in 2017, I was very, very clinical with my life where every day I would write down like, these are the three things I did, or this is something that made me happy or someone I'm, or something I'm grateful for. And it went down to details of like, this is how many like drinks of alcohol I had, how many cups of coffee I had and finding like correlations between things. And um, I restarted that this year. So I've almost gone from this place of like baseline happy. And I feel like last year I found myself kind of like questioning with all the chaos in the world. So this year I've, I've started to do that. Um, I meditate almost every day now, um, which Good is something that I used to do and then stopped. And then now I do again. Do you um, use an I app also, or do you just have your own practice? So I have, I have a membership to Calm. I also have a membership to Peloton. They both have meditation. YouTube has a lot of meditation. Um, I think I'm trying to be kinder with myself with it. So if I remember to even just take two or three deep breaths and mindful mm. breaths in the day, yeah, I, I count that. I count right. that I like, I meditated. So I think it's just like those atomic habits that I'm building throughout and just being kinder to myself of did I do it in a small, small way. Um, I love, I love calm. And I also really love their, like what I love most about them is their sleep meditation. Uh, so at night when I can't fall asleep, I can listen and they kind of guide me through a gratitude practice or a deep rest practice or other things that is very specific to I'm trying to go to sleep. And it works. Mm-hmm. You end up falling asleep. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's okay. That's cool. I mean, good for you. You're so on it. And I love the idea that you're on it to like, notice that you need a little extra attention and you're making yeah. it happen. Um, so this is the part and I, we talked about it like slightly before I started recording, but where you get to choose your theme and I'm really excited about your theme. So let's get into it. All right. So I wanted to spend some time and talk about women in STEM and anxiety. I think something I've gotten very, very passionate about these last few years is just getting more women into STEM careers and 
Um, in 2019, I was selected by the American Association for the Advancement of Science to be a Women in STEM ambassador. So I've just been in that world for a very long time. And something that I've now just become more cognizant of is the role of mental health and anxiety for women in STEM and how it can actually affect or influence how many people are even going into this field and what could we do early on to help kind of provide the support, create inclusive environments so we do have more diversity in this field. What have you been seeing? I mean, how did this strike you as something that needed some attention? I think it's, I think for, for me, like a lot of it was personal. When I started working in quantum, it was so scientific and everyone I was working with was a PhD in physics. So I'm coming from a different background and I, I felt kind of insignificant. And in a lot of it was like me learning things on my own. And I think as I was learning it, I was like, I've always been good at math and science and I love science. So for me, it was interesting for me to observe myself struggling and not feeling confident as I was going through it. And usually when I, when I don't know things, I'll start studying why that's happening because I just love the human brain. Um, and that's when I found a lot of different studies on women in STEM and anxiety and mental health. And what I found interesting was there was a couple of themes that I didn't know existed. So there's there's clinical anxiety and that, that exists and people know that. But then there's science anxiety and math anxiety and people have studied what that means. Um, and it's usually like, how you respond to that field. So like when when you're taking a physics, usually the studies are done with like undergraduate students. So it's like an undergraduate physics class. They look at men and women in the class and like gender non-binary, all that, and then you just compare it. Um, men and women both face anxiety when they enter that class. But the difference between the anxiety is statistically significant that women face it more. And then from there, there's this like cycle of there's not only the anxiety that you already have as a baseline, but then there's things like you're a minority and that adds another layer of anxiety because you're in a minority in a space where there's not a lot of people like you. And then there's the biases from yourself so that you may have like unconscious biases or like you feel imposter syndrome. And then there's like instructor biases or like your peer biases. So that adds another layer of anxiety. And then it like, it changes classroom dynamics, how you study, how you perceive. And then as those things get, get added on, that adds another layer. So there's so much going on that I, I've been trying to figure out, like I work with so many young girls who are interested in a career in STEM and it's like, it's going to be hard. But like, if you're aware of these things, like you're able to find the right community to fall back on. And also like, know like, hey, like I deserve to be here. And you can kind of like work through each of those layers to help you break into this field that you deserve to be in and you're going to do great at. I love that so much. That's such good work. How, so is it one-on-one mentoring? Are you creating communities for people, for women or younger women? How are you doing this? So I don't think there's right solution. One of the things that I work really hard to do is being visible. So it's, it's the concept of like, if you can't see it, you can't be it. So um, putting myself and my friends and other people in visible positions. You um, are something- nailing it. May I say <laughs> that again? You are totally nailing it. You're so visible. Like every time I look, you're, 
in something you're like the face of this part of the world. And I think it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm working on it. And I think like the AAAS and the government's done a really good job with the, the, these ambassadors because they're not only taking uh, the, like, the the women in this group, they're, they're amazing. And they've taken us and put us in positions and placements where you wouldn't actually think of science. So one of the placements is I was in Marie Claire magazine last year. And like, you can be a scientist, you can awesome. work in STEM and also awesome. be in a fashion magazine, right? I or like that. 17 magazine ran digital ads. So it's like, this is what a scientist looks like is their trademark. That. And, and those are the sort of things that you can do. So I think that's step one, like breaking the barrier and like letting people know that this exists. So a lot of that is through like this, like marketing and just be, like conference speaking and, and posting. I'm, I'm trying to be better on social media, but being visible. And then the second is, I think the one-on-one -on -one mentoring or going to classrooms or doing different programs. I'm a part of a, a Girl Scout STEM cadet badge. So oh like, like they can get this badge if they watch this video and like create this like fun coding activity. So it's just like getting there early and saying you can do it. And there's other women that are doing it too. And it's fun. I love that. Is this all through the company that you're the ambassador for? Is yeah. this all? Yeah. Okay. That's most amazing. of it. Yeah. If you ever need a place for young female scientists to gather and talk about anxiety, I am happy to make a beautiful Voyager channel specifically dedicated to them. That would be incredible just amazing. to connect people with each other. So um, I can think of no group I would love to sort of empower more than yeah. young women in STEM. That'd be so great. Um, is there anything else I can like do to support this work? I mean, or anyone listening, like what are, what are some things people can do to support sort of those kinds of anxieties that come up? I think it's like being open to talk about it like knowing that you're not alone. And I think that's, that's what Beautiful Voyager has done, right? It's created this community. And I mean, that's the goal. I, yeah. And I feel like this is a quote that you and I have said before, which is technology brings people together, but community makes them stay. Oh, yes. And, and I feel like this is one of those situations where that's a thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's so it's so good. It's so good to see you too. I just like I'm so inspired talking to you. Um, what are some of your favorite sources for information about anxiety? If you have Ooh. sources for information, I mean, or I, just like where do you get your information? I'm sure you're reading through so many different things, but I read a lot. I so I've been going to therapy, which has been my therapist has been a great uh, resource. She and I have been doing this thing where we read books together. So like oh, I have I love a book it. Like club, book club. With my, yeah. with my therapist. So she'll like suggest a book and I'm, I'm just a very like pedantic person sometimes. So like I'll read it and then it'll make me think of something that I wouldn't have maybe thought of. And I share those thoughts and it allows me to like unravel different things. Yeah. Um, what, um, what book, what is a great book that you've read recently with her? Um, have you read the book Mating in Captivity? Yes. Or heard about it? Yeah. Yes. So we, we were just talking through that, which has been like really, really interesting for me to just think about my my understanding of like relationships and what I expect in relationships and um, just thinking through my relationship with myself and my partner and other things. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, I love the idea of not just letting things sort of be confusing and fester and vague. 
but being like, how are we bringing shape to it in our own heads? Like, how are we yeah. making sense of this? And yeah. books are an amazing way to do that for sure. Yeah. Another uh, thing that I feel like I have that's been very, very helpful is I'm in a group chat with a bunch of very powerful women in AI. And we have different group chats for different things. Like we have one group chat where we just like, like shoot the shit throughout the day. Um, am I allowed to say bad words for the? Oh my listeners? God, of course. Yes. Okay. <laughs> very and welcome. There's, like, there's another group chat where we just talk about like sex related things. And yeah. then we have another group chat where it's like, we talk about very personal, deep things. So, How like, did they get organized? Who did this? Who like started this thing? One of my, one of my friends, she was leaving. We all worked together at one point. She was leaving the company and she was like, I'm going to create a group community for us. And then it's just it. like, it was just like an organic friendship. And now I can't really imagine my life without them. And, and then I feel like I have, I'm very thankful to have so much support through so many different people, whether it's group chats or phone calls or just different people that I can reach out to. And, and that's been really good for me to understand and everyone shares their perspective or either their perspective from life or their therapist or their thing. And like, that's but you of, also like, bring that on Amita, you like bring that in with people. Like, I remember when I first met you, you were the most sort of engaging person in the thing, you know, we met it at, at like, it was some sort of meet and greet or like social hour or something and you were like clearly the person to talk to so it's not just that other people are bringing it to you but you're you're there for it and I hope that like people create those spaces for themselves where they're they're open to the community building yeah and I think like for me I'm very interested in, in other people so I ask questions to dig deeper and I'm also not shy to share different things about myself. So like when I go in and say this, like this very personal thing, it creates a space where other people can also open up. I mean, that's the interesting thing is when, you know, the awkwardness of saying something that people don't expect, it, it, it is a muscle to be used. Like I've had to learn that many times mm-hmm. and even the initial risk. Res- and I think that's one of the reasons we met each other is I said something loud and ridiculous and <laughs> you were like, you're the one I want to talk to, but uh, the right people will find you if you put yourself yeah. out there a little bit, though it feels a little awkward. And some of the people may be like, Ugh, not for me, you know, but like, but that's amazing. That's I mean, it's okay. amazing. You don't yeah. need everyone. You just need, you need more yeah. people maybe. Yeah, totally. Need. Totally. Um, okay. Last question is what has been your latest win? If you've had a win lately, just cause it makes me happy to hear them. Ooh, I was invited to give a Ted talk this week. What? So I'm super excited about that. I actually haven't told anyone besides like two friends. Oh my congratulations. Wait, yeah, and it's, it's, amazing. Yeah. Like kind of overwhelming, right? Are you stressed? <laughs> Like, what are you doing I'm, in your head? I'm excited. I, I, I don't think it's hit me. Um, okay. It's a TEDx talk. Um, and it is going to be virtual. And I think that that part's a little bit of a bummer because I used to work in right. TEDx San Francisco. And right. I just loved being behind the scenes. And I yes. like, always imagined myself being there at some point. Didn't think it was going to happen so fast. Amazing. And, and, I, and I feel like, I don't know. I'm like, I have this vision of myself and like, a power outfit on a st- red stage and like 
you know, my nails are done for the first oh time God, in two yes. years and I'm wearing heels. Yes. It's going to be virtual. So like, I'm just trying to reconcile a little bit of that. Maybe I'll still do yeah, all because it. it's a show and it's like a very physical show, like usually. Yeah. So I but feel I'm very you. excited to build out my talk track and figure out what it's going to be on. It's, um, I think it'll be women in STEM related. Great. Of course. <laughs> because that's, that's I mean, I actually think the anxiety topic is really good too. Should you? Oh, interesting. Um, do you, so they come and they're like, please do, please do something. Let's talk about what you would cover. Yeah. So different TEDx curators for different TEDx, like you need to apply for a license. And then once you apply for a license, you curate your TEDx, um, conference, there's a topic they pick. So based on the topic, they will reach out to different speakers. So I think the topic for this one is you're not there yet or Hmm. something like that. And then they're they're just reaching out to speakers that they think would make sense. And then you'll curate a talk together so it fits the topic. I cannot wait to watch it. Yeah, it's going to be March 5th. I'm very excited. Oh, my God. That's soon. Wait, that's (laughs) kind of soon, isn't it? It is kind of soon. So does that mean you record it in a Zoom-like situation? I don't know any of the details. Okay, we'll see. Yes. we'll see. We'll 100% see. We're gonna see. Yes. Because <laughs> March fifth, we'll get to watch it and we'll see what it looks like. That's amazing. What a great win! Um, it has been so amazing to talk to you. I am going. I want to talk to you a little bit after I turn off the the mic as well. But like, right. thank you, thank you for taking this time. I just so appreciate you spending time. Thank with you me for here. having me. I think <laughs> about you all the time. 